Welcome to Talking Change. Today we're looking at the Collaborative Leadership Initiative and one of the many projects they're currently working on. The Collaborative Leadership Initiative is a partnership between the Chiefs of the Southern Chiefs Organization and the Mayors and Reeves of the WMR. Since 2017, CLI leaders have been working through a process of reconciliation facilitated by the Center for Indigenous Environmental Resources. The leaders have identified the protection of clean water, waste management, increasing economic opportunities, and good jobs as potential areas for collaborative action. The priorities identified by the CLI leaders also align with several of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, including SDG 6 and 15. SDG 6 is clean water and sanitation, which identifies access for all to clean water and proper sanitation. SDG 15 is life on land, which addresses the need to manage and protect forests and land from degradation and loss of biodiversity. This summer, several projects are underway across the region to pilot the use of green infrastructure to protect our water, our land, and our communities. One of these projects is currently being completed in the village of Donater. Today, we're going to talk with Chris Penner from Ecological Restoration Services to find out a bit more. So, uh, hey, Chris, thank you for taking time out to speak with us today about the Donater Duckweed Project. We uh, hear that the project is progressing nicely, and we'd like to ask you a few questions. So I understand that the uh, Donater Duckweed Project is something that you've been working on for a long time. So can you describe the project to me? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> actually, um, there's there's two projects, and uh, I'll, I'll start with the first one, which start was initiated in 2019. Uh, to uh, test the use of duckweed in a lagoon in a very small enclosure. I should probably suggest, uh, uh, first of all, that uh, mention what duckweed actually is. Uh, this is a, it's actually a vascular plant. It's not algae, it's, it's a higher plant that uh, produces seed and flowers, but it's also the world's smallest flowering plant. And it grows hydroponically in mats over top of nutrient enriched waters. Uh, when you dig down into the literature, you find that duckweed itself has a, a, an enormous appetite for nutrients like phosphorus and, and nitrogen, particularly nitrogen, lots of, lots of phosphorus as well. And those are basically, if you want to boil it down, those are the two nutrients that are largely responsible for algae problems in our freshwater ecosystems, Lake Winnipeg being a good example of that. Uh, so uh, duck, the other characteristics of duckweed are that it's very high in starch, it's high in crude protein, readily decompostable, uh, like it ferments right away, it's a soft tissue plant. And uh, so that has lent it to all sorts of different kinds of secondary uses for the biomass around the world, actually. On small farms, it's used, uh, it's harvested off the surface of water and fed to livestock and small farming operations. Uh, it can be used as a soil conditioner, much the same way we would use peat that is harvested out of bogs in Manitoba, much the same way, way we use peat in garden centers or to mend the soil when we're planting perennials, that sort of thing. So there's there's a large demand for those kind of organic products and uh, duckweed would be a very interesting substitute for uh, peat moss. Uh, but anyways, going back to the study, there's a precedent for this kind of, uh, for the use of duckweed to treat water and in other parts of the world, probably most, I would say, uh, in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, that's probably the closest example to, to Winnipeg, where there's a, a 60 acre duckweed water filtration facility tacked on to the end of a municipal lagoon system or wastewater treatment facility. So the wastewater from Devil's Lake and the surrounding area goes through this treatment facility and it goes through the various cells in the lagoon and it settles and it gets cleaned out and it's processed. But there's still a lot of nutrients in that water as it leaves the lagoon. And uh, what they've done is that to help protect the water quality in Devil's Lake, which is a lake that is vulnerable to large scale massive algae blooms, 
they run the effluent before it gets released into the lake. They run that effluent through a, kind of a serpentine arrangement of canals that, that are populated with duckweed on the surface. And it's about 60 acres of that. So uh, they are actually able to harvest thousands of pounds of phosphorus, just the element phosphorus out of, out of that water, uh, just by harvesting the duckweed. So they, as you can imagine, um, you, could, you could be harvesting tons of duckweed on a, on a per acre basis. So they've got 60 acres down there. So uh, back in 2018, I, was, I became aware of this, uh, this facility in Devil's Lake and wrote a proposal, uh, put a team together and wrote a proposal to get funding to do a little research to test a similar, this, the idea in a similar manner in a lagoon in um, the village of Donauder. And that was 2019, 2020, that study just wrapped up. And uh, it was really just a small enclosure that we, that we grew duckweed on, but we proved that you could grow duckweed in our, in our lagoon up here. Uh, and you could also harvest it. And we looked at uh, how much nutrient you could take off of a lagoon on a per acre basis too there. Uh, now, the second project is this new one with, uh, with uh, the Center for Indigenous Environmental Resources through Collaborative uh, Leadership Initiative. We're basically taking that same, same thing and scaling it up just to see how, how, how it would work on a larger scale. And on a larger scale, so we've, I've annexed a part portion of the lagoon up to an acre of the lagoon and uh, I've inoculated the site with duckweed and put various structures in place to contain the duckweed into one in one place and set it up to allow it to uh, populate it has a very explosive growth rate uh, at optimal temperatures this plant can increase its biomass by two times every every 48 hours so uh, that's in good that's in optimal temperatures and uh, so it's busy populating uh, the enclosure right now and uh, that's where I'm at. We're going to hopefully do our first harvest within within two or three weeks. Exciting. That, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, so for many people, like they may not understand the significance of this type of project. They could just see duckweed on a lagoon. But many people yeah, may not understand how this type of initiative can benefit our fresh, clean water. So can you break down those benefits for me just in, like a, in the simplest form possible, I guess? Yeah, yeah. The, basically, our, our landscape in, in, in the northern Great Plains and in Canada and, and elsewhere in, in North America, um, our landscapes have been highly modified and converted into agricultural production. And in doing so, a lot of wetlands have been drained or removed or altered or degraded. And a lot of the drainage systems have uh, been straightened out. There's these large, very straight drainage um, ditches that go through our various uh, rural municipalities, conveying water off the land as fast as possible into the nearest river, which could be the Seine or the Incinnabine or the Red River. So we've lost a lot of wetland capability in our landscape and wetlands are really good at keeping our water clean, especially if they're, you know, uh, highly functional and, and large basically, but we don't really have that anymore. And we have to look for other ways to treat our water, to try to take up those nutrients. Wetlands are very good at removing and storing nutrients permanent in uh, the, in wetland soils. Uh, but um, there isn't really enough. It would be impractical or, or, um, yeah, basically impractical to suggest that we could restore our historic extent of wetlands across our landscape. They're, they're just, the land is changed now. There isn't enough real estate to do that. And digging a hole in the ground to create a wetland is also costs a lot of money too. That's a construction project. So possibly this idea of using duckweed to remove nutrients from, uh, from sources of nutrient, like for instance, a lagoon is essentially in my mind viewed as an alternative to wetland construction. 
don't get me wrong, I think wetlands are fantastic and we should try to improve them and re restore them or, or construct them in, wherever possible. But uh, I think that we need to look for other means of removing, you know, efficient plant-based ways to remove nutrient from our landscape. So nutrient comes off farm fields, uh, in, especially in the spring through soil erosion. Uh, nutrient enters our freshwater systems through just as those rivers go through cities. So there's uh, urban and rural sources of nutrient, uh, much more nutrient than our natural systems can really handle. And as a result, all that nutrient winds up in, let's say, a terminal basin, kind of like uh, Lake Winnipeg. That and then that nutrient winds up and Lake Winnipeg is a very large watershed and that watershed spans all sorts of agricultural areas and there's lots of cities that contribute to the water quality in the, in the, in, in the Lake Winnipeg watershed. And as a result, these nutrients end from all across the country and south of the border wind up in Lake Winnipeg and they cause or fuel these massive algae blooms that, uh, that we've been hearing about for, I guess, a couple of decades now in Lake Winnipeg. Blue-green algae, of course, uh, garnering the most attention because blue-green algae is, is toxic. It's, uh, um, so in Lake Winnipeg, as a result of all this nutrient influx and algae blooms, we find that uh, parts of Lake Winnipeg are degrading. As, importantly, um, a lot of that algae that forms across the surface in these huge, huge mats in Lake Winnipeg in the South Basin and in the North Basin, uh, at the end of the year, that algae floats to the bottom of the lake and it begins to decompose in that anaerobic environment under the water. And that uses a lot of oxygen to do that. And therefore, because of this massive quantities of biomass that uh, spend the summer on the surface and then sink to the bottom in, in the winter and stay there for years, it just decomposes, uses up oxygen and creates these oxygen dead zones or oxygen depleted zones in Lake Winnipeg, which is not good for the health of the lake. There are other there are other um, attributes as well, but that's that's a very certainly a very important one. Thanks, thanks for breaking that down. Um, just yeah. a last question. You know, this may seem like a small project, but um, what do you believe are the large scale takeaways or lessons that we can apply across the province or even in the country? Well, uh, I think we need to um, we need to look at ways to uh, remove efficiently remove nutrient from our our water systems using where possible our built environment like uh, our, our constructed environment. For example, and I know we're, we're getting away from duckweed a little bit here, but for example, I've been involved for years in the construction of urban wetlands uh, in, in Winnipeg in uh, residential or suburban stormwater retention basins. You know, those big urban lakes you get out in those big new suburbs that have been constructed for the last 20 years, they all have lakes. It used to be those lakes were just lined with rocks. So it was just essentially an ecological dead end. I was part of a team of people that proposed the idea of dispensing with the rocks and basically creating functional wetland habitat within these stormwater retention ponds. And as a result, the water leaving these residents or these neighborhoods and entering the Seine River or the Assiniboine or the Red was an, just massively cleaner from a nutrient uh, from basically from any point of view, but particularly for nutrients, there was much less nutrient leaving those subdivisions than let's say subdivisions who had the old style retention ponds. That's an example of what we call natural infrastructure now. Although back then when we were doing that, when we first started doing that, we didn't know anything about 
the term natural infrastructure. We just did it because it made sense. It was an economic home run because it was cheaper to do and an environmental home run because it produced much cleaner water coming out of these built environments. So the duckweed example is to me very similar. It's, it's another means, another arrow, uh, another arrow in the quiver, if you will, in weapons we have against uh, the de degradation or mitigating degradation of freshwater habitat. And using duckweed in the lagoon is one example, but it's certainly not limited to that at all. The key though, uh, and hoping I'm answering your question, but the key to me is finding a feasible and economically responsible way to use that harvested biomass. It's one thing to take uh, equipment like a siphon or some way to remove uh, duckweed biomass off of a water body like a lagoon, uh, but then you get this mountain of duckweed and what do you do with it? Well, it, you know, we talked earlier about secondary uses and that's the key to being able to push this, this kind of concept forward to find a use for this biomass that is maybe cost neutral to land managers like rural municipalities or, or public lands and, and that kind of thing. And uh, finding a way to harvest it and use it that is either cost neutral or potentially even profitable. And I really like the idea of, of investigating the use of duckweed harvested off of a lake, for instance, maybe not a lagoon, but off of a lake, like for instance, Lake Winnipeg. Uh, harvesting duckweed off of Lake Winnipeg, removing massive quantities of nutrient, and then using that biomass either as a peat substitute. Uh, it could potentially be even used as uh, bioethanol, for instance. That's the next thing I'd like to explore. Uh, I've been in discussions with Husky Energy. They have a plant out in Minnedosa, Manitoba, that produces bioethanol, and they're interested in doing some test yields off some material I get off the lagoon. So I guess that's the broader issue is just using our built environment to the best uh, to the to uh, in, a, in a manner that incorporates environmental goods and services and putting wetlands in, in subdivisions, building wetland capacity into our into our provincial water drainage infrastructure, for instance, and also in this particular case, removing excess nutrient from a lagoon. No, you, you answered that perfectly. That's okay. a lot. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I think that's everything, but I love that project. It sounds great. And okay. uh, yeah, love to know how it turns out in a few months well, from now. The, the, the drought where we, as where you probably know, we are in the middle of, a, or we have been having a pretty severe drought combined yes, yes. with a with massive heat. So that has presented some challenges for in the execution of this project right now, but uh, I believe there are challenges that can be overcome, but it's just, a, it's kind of a freak of weather right now. So, but anyway, so far, so far, so good. Glad to hear that. Thanks for your okay. time, Chris. You bet. Have a good day. Too. Thanks for listening to Talking Change. On the next episode, we'll be talking to Steve Strang, the Manitoba Director for the Red River Basin Commission, to learn about the Netley Marsh Restoration Project. Until then, thanks for joining us.